Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The minute you step behind the wheel of an all-new Toyota Tundra TRD Pro, you'll know it was made to make a statement because it's a beast. Equipped with a 437-horsepower iForce Max hybrid engine made for making power moves, plus available cockpit red interior with a technical camo pattern made to deliver a red carpet-like experience. Not to mention an in-grill LED light bar made to make you stand out from the crowd. The all-new Tundra TRD Pro, made to make a statement. Toyota, let's go places. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for their initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you just want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your applications in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. This is Ryan Archidak, knocked out to the Bulls HQ podcast. All the way from Australia, we represent, and thanks for all the support. Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. 
one where we can sort of step back a little bit from this season and maybe take stock of uh, our rookie, our surprisingly good rookie in my eyes at least, uh, Patrick Williams. I wanted to have a bit of a, a longer form conversation about Patrick Williams, what he's been doing through the first 30, 35 games of this season. We're effectively at the halfway point of this Bulls season, so... We've got, a, we've got time here, but we've also got a large enough sample to sort of go over what Patrick Williams has done, how he's maybe impressed us, the, the areas of opportunities that we maybe see he can develop through the second half of his season. Um, so that's what I want to talk about, and here joining me to discuss Patrick Williams, uh, in my opinion at least, is one of the, uh, the go-to draft guys that I use from an online point of view. I am, I've, made, I've made it very clear on this podcast before that I am certainly not a draft expert, so I lean on probably five to ten people online, and one of those resources that I constantly read during the draft process is PD Webb, and he's joining me on this episode of Bulls HQ. PD, how are you, mate? I'm doing well. I'm very excited to talk about Patrick Williams, uh, maybe my favorite player in last year's draft. Yeah, I've seen some things from you, specifically in your Twitter page, where you have spoken quite uh, glowingly about Patrick Williams, and for me as a Bulls fan, like I said at the top, I'm not necessarily a, a draft maven, maven let's say. Um, so when I see you know voices like yourself say some quality things about my my guys, let's say guys on my team, uh, specifically in this case Patrick Williams, and and you know you 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 offer up that type of phrase, it's, it's validation one for me that you know the things that I'm seeing, but it's also good that you have. You know that validation from scouts like yourself, who are covering all rookies across you know the, the entire NBA landscape, but specifically here for Patrick Williams, that you have said some um, some some quite positive things. So maybe maybe we can start there, mate. Like, what is it that you're seeing from Patrick Williams thus far this season that would, like you sort of said, make him one of your favorite, if not one of your favorite rookies? And how is that sort of perception about Patrick Williams maybe shifted from his time at Florida State to to what we're seeing here now with Chicago? So I would have taken Patrick Williams number one overall if I were at the Timberwolves. That's the level of uh, optimism I had about Pat. Um, wow. And the difference between, I think, how people who covered the draft year-round and, and NBA fans at large reacted to the pick um, by Chicago was two really different um, yeah, yeah. worlds. Mm-hmm. Because uh, some draft people were like, oh, Pat fell. Like, Pat fell to the to Chicago, um, where there was, it seems, a little less excitement about Pat Williams than they're among the broad NBA fan base than the draft people have. And that makes a, a degree of sense. At Florida State, um, he wasn't a super heralded recruit, only you know, top 30 or so. Florida State is not a place that uh, is a glamorous school. Everyone goes there to play defense. Pat Williams went there explicitly to work on his motor and, and to play defense. Yeah, And nobody averages more than... 13 points a game. What it does produce is uh, players who know how to make defensive rotations, players who know how to read the floor, and guys who can shoot. So for me, when I see a young guy who has uh, an advanced frame, who can read the game, and who has the ability to to read uh, a defense better than could be expected of, of most players a year or two years older than him, um, that's the sort of player you want to buy in on from a team-building perspective because you can fit so many other unique pieces next to him. My concern with the Bulls specifically um, was that they were going to play him at powerful, or they were going to play him at the three exclusively um, mm-hmm. because that's how the roster's kind of set up. The biggest concern with him coming out of Florida State was um, it was a movement disorder that he had. Um, he gained too much weight in his quads and he struggled to move laterally. 
Um, so when he would be switched onto ones or twos, it would be pretty easy work. And by the time that the redraft had finished, like around the time of the draft, you could see from from uh, his workouts uh, with, I believe, Olin, uh, Olin Sibilis, uh, uh, a fantastic uh, skills development chair in Los Angeles, that he was moving a lot better and that he had uh, readjusted uh, his lower body. And, I mean, two, three games in, um, I could see a difference in how Pat Williams was defending wings, um, was defending even, you know, down onto twos and ones. It's not uh, the mobility of, like, a Jonathan Isaac, but it's a dramatic growth. And these aren't necessarily the skills that, like, get the fans out of their seats. Like, people aren't like, yeah. oh, my God, he's he's moving in space on defense. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then when you look at, you know, the offensive stats, you have somebody that's, uh, you know, 47, 40, 80 for, you know, 2.3 point free throw. Um, that's an, a pretty astounding level of shooting for a guy who wasn't automatically labeled to be a shooter. So Pat is producing in, in the standard offensive ways, along with developing upon a, a pretty cerebral defensive uh, platform coming out of Florida State. Yeah, I think everything that you mentioned there is, is why it's kind of been an interesting uh, test case of how how this fan base, let's say, how, how the Bulls fans base has sort of reacted to the Patrick Williams era through, through the life of that era. Obviously, it's very small at this point. But, you know, the, the moment he was drafted, you know, people like me, maybe less so than me, I was okay with the pick because I was just sort of, whoever they took at number four, I just was resigning myself to them being maybe a high-level role player, let's say, less so of a star player. But maybe that's different now with Patrick Williams. But so I was I was okay with it. I didn't really know a ton about Patrick Williams because I I just didn't study Patrick because I didn't expect him to to be the number four pick. Maybe obviously you know draft guys like yourself felt very differently. But because of that, like come draft night, Bulls fans didn't know what to make of it. We've seen him sort of um, over thirty games now. You've seen that defensive potential. You know what he does on the defensive end. But to to, to the comment that you made before, like so much of the value that he sort of brings is the stuff that happens off ball that. If you're not uh, specifically locking in on Patrick Williams and what he does on defense, but even on offense too, off ball as well, like you can kind of miss the good stuff that we have seen him thus far through his 30, 31 games, whatever it might be, to the point where I'm watching this guy, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong or right, but I'm watching this guy do things in terms of a reading the game point of view that I would expect from a four to five year veteran, not a 19 year old kid who hasn't had any real off-season um, from a professional standpoint, at least, uh, in the NBA. And, like, that's where it kind of, like, floors me at times, the fact that, you know, the, the things that he is doing that I would expect veterans to be doing. And to be fair, I mean, we're talking about Zach Levine's improved defense this year, but, I mean, this is year seven for Zach. Sometimes it's not even – sometimes it's not even things uh, four- or five-year vets could do, but I'm seeing Patrick Williams do that. So – in that sense, maybe you can expand on, on what, you're, what you've seen from Patrick Williams defensively. We'll start defensively and, and why we should be so excited about what he can be as a, as a defender. Maybe more off-ball than on-ball, but also, also obviously we can touch on his on-ball defense, what we've seen there too. That's the youngest player on the NBA, and it doesn't feel that way when you watch him rotate down uh, off, off help or when you watch him you know, navigate hammer screens. There's... Um, there's a maturity about his game, but it's also that like he's in the right spot at the right time, mm-hmm. which is really foundational for building a team. It seems it seems sort of basic, but to have guys in the right spots, even if the team isn't fantastic, 
are what sets the table for the next player who comes into the team, whether it's through a trade or um, through the draft or free agency, to be a building block going forward. So that you already have some, you know, defensive actions that are cemented. Um, and that can be hard because you can't necessarily point to that. Um, when you've been a, a franchise that has had a, a downward swing for a couple of years, you want to be able to point to something and be like, this is what's happening. This guy is dropping to 30. Like, this yeah, dunk yeah. is happening. And mm-hmm. to... To look at something that feels like marginalia, like, you know, help side defense or making the correct rotation doesn't matter until it does. And when it does, you're a playoff team all of a sudden because you have a guy who does his yeah. job and does his job well. Um, mm-hmm. And with Pat, I think there is some funkiness about how he's deployed. Um, I would like him to be a four long term um, mm-hmm. because then it allows you to get as much uh, skills on the court as possible. Yeah. Obviously, this is very much a transitional year having like six power forwards and Thaddeus Young becoming Magic Johnson. Like These are things that <laughs> weren't exactly foreseen, uh, some of its roster, some of its development. But there is there's an overlap, and Pat has had to guard threes a little bit more than I think the plan would have suggested. Uh, his best defensive skill um, that would show up on a stat sheet is, is his weak side uh, rim protection. And when he's guarding threes, he isn't always able to get to that. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty rough far rotation from opposite side uh, slot to to near side to make contests. But when he guards fours, you see that that explosiveness, long arms, and the ability to get vertical. Um, that is very special for, for a player his age. So with the off ball, it's the savvy, but it's also the, there is a role that makes a ton of sense and a role that is extremely valuable that he will get to on the next great Bulls team. And right now it's just keeping him on the court as much as possible to see what he can do, You know, just trying out new roles, trying out, uh, some of the skills that he's gained uh, during the pre-draft process and, and during his first 30 games with the Bulls, um, which one of those is, you know, getting thrown at uh, the jumbo creators of the world. Uh, I watched both Mavs games. I watched the, the, the Clippers games. And they're putting – they're giving Pat a shot against Luka and Kawhi, against Braun. And he's not doing as bad as I thought. Like, rookies are almost always not going to be good. Um, mm. because the NBA is extremely hard. Yeah, but – you can see that there is the outline of a player who's going to be a formidable on-ball defender, um, specifically yeah. with strength-based creators. Like, you're, I don't think he's ever going to get the foot speed to to get put on an island against like Dame or Steph. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he can give Kawhi some trouble or you know hold some ground uh, against Kawhi until until help arrives uh, is extremely encouraging. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and and that has been one of the most encouraging things of the, over the first 30, 31 games of this this Bulls season. I mean, the Bulls currently sit sixth in the Eastern Conference. If they win against the Suns tomorrow, then we're, we're, there's a there's a chance that they're sitting in the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, which is kind of crazy to say. So there's a lot of the good things happening in Chicago right now, but I think one of the one of the really surprising things, one of the really great things that we have seen throughout the first thirty odd games of this of this season thus far is the fact that to your point, you know, you've been able to throw Patrick Williams from an on ball point of view onto guys like Kawhi, Giannis, LeBron. Now it has been, you know, varying degrees of success to that. I mean Giannis completely wrecked him on on occasions, but against LeBron, I mean, a lot of the time LeBron was sort of having to, you know, rely back onto his, his step back jumper and, and even even in those scenarios, Patrick Williams is right there sort of contesting those jumpers. LeBron still got his points, Kawhi still got his points. Those guys will always get their buckets, but like you sort of said, the fact that you've got a nineteen year old rookie sort of 
holding his own and, and making those guys compete from a, from a from their offensive standpoint. Like that is super encouraging, and I wasn't expecting that on ball defense this soon, um, which is it's kind of interesting as well because I guess part of the other element of Patrick Williams that you know has has been hotly uh, debated amongst Bulls fan bases. You know what ultimate position should he be and you know, I'll be very clear. Like my my thinking on it was that he is a power forward, and a lot of my thinking on this this topic about you know what position Patrick should be played is often shaped by you know guys like yourself, uh, Jackson Frank, who had a a fantastic article through the draft process as well on on um on Patrick. I had him on the show I think prior to the draft or after, just after sorry after after um, Patrick Williams was drafted by the Bulls. So. In reading all that stuff, like I assumed Patrick was going to be a power forward. I still think that is the best case. But now, I, I don't know, is there is there more semblance of the fact that maybe Patrick can survive as a small forward and maybe that maybe changes how the Bulls should uh, go about sort of constructing their roster? Or are you still very strictly thinking this guy's a, this guy's a power forward, let's get in a smaller a smaller wing, let's say, and to your point earlier point, let's try to get more ball handling on the floor. Like I'm assuming it's the latter, but maybe you can clarify that point. I think that I still believe that Pat is a four long term, um, yeah. for team building perspective. Um, but the the degree to which you can play him as a three has shifted. Mm-hmm. So before mm-hmm. I would, I mean, if you watched, you know, the the University of Miami game at Miami uh, during his freshman year, uh, they have a like a five foot seven point guard named Chris Likes. And um, I'm pretty sure Pat Williams still has nightmares about that game because they got switches and he just abused Pat yeah. in isolation. And so in my thinking, when you see a guy who has that serious of movement problems in space, you want to limit as much time on the wing as possible. There's going to be moments when there are you know, less mobile people than him um, at the four or at the five, and so you have to play him as a wing. But I was thinking pre-draft as much as possible now I can, depending on lineup and depending on matchup defensively, um, you know, if there is a bigger body three, if you're playing a, a Morris brother or somebody like Kawhi who who is strength forward, who you know tries to win with uh, win with the weight room, yep. you can put Pat Williams on them. Um, mm-hmm. If a team goes small and the, and their three guys out there are all you know uh, slender shake based guys, I would not want to to put Pat at the three. But I feel much more confident in him getting those minutes and him getting those minutes and having to be positive. Uh, some of that is also that his shooting has held up to a masterful degree, so there's not um, a trade-off. Often guys who have his specific shooting motion have some struggle just into the NBA line um, yep. for his lifetime numbers, which is uh, his high school, his uh, summer EYBL, and Florida State. I have him around 40% from three, uh, 41.9% from three uh, on 236 attempts. So I was kind of thinking he was going to be like a 35 36% three-point shooter as, as he adjusted to the line, and he's just come out and, and really been consistent. Um, he's at, at or right at 40 yeah. through 30 yeah. games. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in the, in the games I watched, I thought that Pat, or his role, was one of the most consistent roles, which is, again, inspiring stuff for a 19-year-old. But it also bodes really well that if the perimeter skills hold and the feel for the game holds, movement holds, like maybe you can try some more things with him as a three. Yeah, I, I certainly think there is there's more scope to that than what I initially thought. Um, I think I still think he's probably that power forward. But uh, call me crazy here, but do you think there is, and maybe this is forecasting a little too ahead, and maybe forecasting based on maybe where the league may or may not go. But do you think there is even some scope where 
I don't know, Patrick Williams could play some some small ball center. And the reason why I say that is, I mean, one, he's, he's a massive kid. He's a 19-year-old, and he's, he already has an NBA-ready body. He's huge. The, the more you put him through an NBA training program, he's obviously can, he can get bigger, assuming you want him to get bigger. Maybe that's not the case. But for, from what the Bulls are doing at this point of view, I mean, they're, they're playing Wendell Carter at starting center. He's not a massive center in terms of, you know, height and frame, let's say. But even their, their backup center at this point is Thad Young, who's traditionally been a power forward. So I'm just sort of thinking ahead, maybe where the league is going. Maybe, you know, obviously the fact that Thad Young is a 32-year-old, he's, he's not in his prime anymore, despite, you know, the things that he's doing this season. So maybe that maybe that isn't true. But in that sense, like, is there some scope where in certain rotations, in certain lineups, depending on who the other team is sort of rolling out there. I mean, can Patrick Williams, rather than scaling down to, to small forward or even shooting guard or something like that, is there scope for, for Patrick Williams to maybe even scale up towards center at some point? 100%. NBA center is the, the hardest defensive position because you have to know all of the rotations. and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's so many possibilities to um, both internalize and communicate to other people. And yeah. those are the micro skills that Patrick Williams is best at. So if his body can hold up and you can get a lineup that makes sense, getting enough shooting on the floor and, and getting enough defenders on the floor um, at the other four spots, like having Pat play some center in, you know, paced space lineups is something that the Bulls should absolutely look towards. Um, if not this year, by the, you know, the beginning of next year. Yeah, I, I, I would love to say that. I, I don't, I'm not sure if he'd hold up just now, but to, to everything that you sort of noted, um, I, he seems like he can transition that way, assuming the league continues it's fascination with, you know, putting as many ball handlers on the court as possible, which is why we why we have guys like Patrick Williams playing power forward now where in the past maybe he's a two, maybe he's a three, whatever it might be. So it's just it's just an interesting idea. And I don't know if there's a lot of Bulls fans maybe thinking about it. Well, a lot, we're still debating, you know, what, is he a three, is he a four? And I guess that debate is sort of still gaining momentum right now, given that uh, Patrick Williams right now is effectively this team's starting power forward, and that is likely due, or not likely, it is due to the fact that Larry Markkinen is currently out injured. So the Bulls haven't necessarily missed a beat with Markkinen out, in large part due to Patrick Williams. A lot of it is due to Thad Young, though Thad is playing a lot of his minutes at center. But because Patrick has been so good and so comfortable at power forward, should the Bulls be thinking about shaping their roster going forward around someone like Patrick Williams and the versatility that he does have? And in that sense, does someone like Patrick Williams really shape the decision around someone like Larry Markkinen? 100%. Like, are we fully certain that Larry Markkinen is a better shooter than Patrick Williams at this point? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly not. And shooting isn't what I would say is uh, Pat's, you know, maybe even second or third best skill. While it's a bit jarring considering that like he again doesn't have the sexiest game he's to me the foundational piece more than anything else in like Zach Levine is a wonderful basketball player Thad Young is has been great but Patrick Williams is doing is at the most valuable position at the NBA which is you know a fle- a versatile wing player he has shown flashes that almost no other young player in the NBA has currently mm-hmm. um and that needs to be planned around. So figuring out, you know, how many minutes can he play with, with Wendell at the five? What does that offensive rating look like? Does, should we try to go two guards, um, a wing and then a somewhat big around him? Like to me, Patrick Williams is the decision around which all the Bulls future should depend, regardless of how this playoff push works, regardless mm-hmm. of, of how high or how low they are. You have a, one of the most valuable assets in the NBA, a wing who is good, who is versatile. 
uh, and who is young and under contract for, for seven more years, start to put in a plan now because everything else can always be rearranged depending on his prime. No, I look, I, like, like I alluded to it at the top of the show, um, when I see you posting good things about <laughs> about Patrick Williams, that that is always uh, music to my ears, but even more so in this conversation. So that is, that is good to hear. And I guess coming back to some, you know, the, the perceptions of Patrick Williams, I guess another thing that, another topic that remains, uh, you know, part of the undercurrent, I guess, of, of the conversation amongst the fan base is, you know, prior to the draft, there was rumours around whether the Bulls should trade up into the top two or three. There was those rumours of, the Bulls moving pick number four and pick, uh, sorry, pick, yeah, pick number four and Wendell Carter to sort of jump up to pick number two, which that, that sort of conversation died down a little bit, but given what LaMelo has been doing this season, it's sort of still bubbling away to a degree in large part because of what LaMelo is doing, but to what we sort of discussed before, like you have to really lock into what Patrick Williams is doing on the basketball court to really sort of appreciate what he's actually bringing in terms of value. But I don't know, how, how, how do you think someone like myself, talking to Bulls fans, how, how should we address that sort of conversation, um, given what LaMelo is doing? Again, we don't even know if that trade was uh, available, whether the Bulls would actually do that. But given what LaMelo has done, given what Patrick Williams is doing, um, where do you sort of stand on that thing now that we're, we're 30-odd games into the season? If they had traded up to get Lamelo, they also would have involved it, you know, a cascading trade to make sense of this roster. So then it would probably be, you know, Kobe has to go, and mm-hmm. and then Thad Young wouldn't be as valuable because you can't really run offense through him. Like, yeah, as as wonderful as Lamelo has done so far, that's not necessarily how the Bulls roster or uh, X's nose work. It would have required a full shift to get him, and that's not to say that Lamelo isn't going to be good because Lamelo is fantastic. But the vision that this franchise has doesn't necessarily overlap with the vision of having Lamelo Ball in your franchise. Um, and so I would say that uh, I would look at those standings and and uh, and say Patrick Williams does have a, a good amount to do with this, and uh, you know the grass does sometimes look greener, but I think that. Um, as the season plays out and as Pat starts to get a little more authoritative, um, Bulls fans should, should feel pretty good regardless of what, you know, Wiseman or, or Ball or, um, or any other player really has, uh, with regards to the rookie season. Now, to that point, I guess where, where there is scope for Pat to really maybe capture the eyes of those people who aren't necessarily tuning into every single Bulls game or haven't necessarily noticed the things that Patrick is doing and that, like that scope of, you know, his improvement is probably going to come on the offensive end. At least that's where Patrick Williams will grab a lot of Bulls fans. And I think at this point, the fact that he's averaging 10, 11 points, five to six rebounds, and you sort of quoted the shooting splits before, the, the fact that he's doing that without being really a focal point at all and he's just found it, he's seamlessly found a way to fit in. I mean, that in itself projects Patrick Williams to be you know, a very high-level role player. But beyond that, he's done some things where you sort of stop to question, I'm at, can, can, can this guy be a little bit more than that? Um, like coming into this season, I was thinking, you know, if he can sort of project to be a Jeremy Grant level talent, and I, I'm referring more to the Denver Nuggets version of Jeremy Grant, that would be very ideal. But now, you know, seeing what Jeremy Grant has, has done and the way he's sort of taken off, like, is there scope for someone like Patrick Williams to come in here, maybe do some things more on ball? He looks super comfortable sort of rising up for that mid-range jumper. You know, from a ball handling point of view, he's flashed some moves where it's like, okay, maybe if he just takes, you know, two or three extra dribbles and gets confident with that, there's some scope for him to be a real on-ball threat, which is 
things that we were sort of talking about at the draft but we weren't so sure about. But now after 30 games, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking maybe there is some there is some scope to that. I mean, has your perception of what Patrick Williams can be as an offensive player shifted after this 30-odd games? No. If anything, he's uh, his playmaking hits a little bit disappointed. Uh, okay. At Florida State, when he was allowed to run pick and roll, again, they run a very uh, thinly spread offense where everybody gets a handful of possessions. He was mm-hmm. capable of uh, running a pick and roll and, and diagnosing the defense really quickly and getting one-handed, left-handed skip passes out to the corner. And I thought that, you know, the Bulls doesn't, the Bulls didn't necessarily have a venue to give him a bunch of creation possessions. But when teams have been closing out hard, he's been able to pick up good passes. So I think that the thing that may be the next step in terms of uh, fans' perception of him is as he starts to get uh, a, a larger playmaking role, um, whether it's through injuries or, you know, through teams adjusting and, and taking a little bit of that away or taking a little bit of Zach away, is going to give Pat those opportunities to try to pick a part of the defense. And, and I think that he has a lot more playmaking chops than he's generally given credit for. And I think that because there's sort of this idea that he's sort of a dull prospect, um, it eliminates the fact that we're talking about a dribble pass shoot wing with great shooting splits um, who is capable of defending between three positions, potentially, mm-hmm. um, yep. with more depending on, on the build of the, the smaller guy. Um, that's the sort of thing that, like, championship teams dream about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I was uh, having a conversation with a scouting friend uh, about a player in the 2021 draft, Jonathan Kuminga, who's mm-hmm. seen as a threat to be not the number one pick. You know, he's a six eight. Uh, super athletic ball, uh, wing and really put pressure on the rim. And I asked him, like, well, what exactly is he better at than Patrick? And, uh, I was like, he's not a better passer. He's not a better shooter. He, you know, attacks the rim harder, but he's not a better defender. He's not a better team defender. Uh, he's not a better communicator. And that led me to the belief that, like, Patrick Williams would probably be my third best prospect behind Evan Mobley and Kate Cunningham in this hyper stack draft. And he went number four in a much worse draft. So, to put that in some perspective, like Pat Williams by age would most likely be in this draft. Like mm. Most most people who are his age are in this one. Yep. And I would have him third at very worst. This is a special guy. Yeah, cl- clearly the messaging is you're all in on this guy. So, again, I, I love to hear it. But um, I-, I guess the Bulls do – the way the Bulls are currently set up as well, I think that there is scope for Patrick to, to really flash more of that offensive game. And we've sort of seen it occasionally where – I mean, from a point guard perspective, he's brought the ball up. He's made a couple passes here and there. But if you think about the way the balls are currently constructed, the way Zach should be used, the way more, more so more so Kobe White than Zach. I mean, you've got two guys who you know really excel from a catch and shoot standpoint to the point where you could put the ball in someone like Patrick Williams' hands to create on certain possessions, and then you have. Guys like Zach, guys like Kobe sort of flanking around the wings, maybe coming off screens, and you could have Patrick Williams creating for those guys. So that is something that I've been like thinking a lot about lately, and, and I'm thinking about Patrick Williams' season in blocks of 20 games, in part because there's you know roughly 70 games in this season, let's say. The first 20-odd games, I was hopeful that he would just sort of fit in and show some things, which he clearly has. Second lot of games, I've wanted to see some improvement on... Uh, you know, from a rebounding point of view, like the first 10, 15 games of this season, he wasn't rebounding very well. But now with Larry Markkinen out, he's essentially averaging seven rebounds a game since he's been a power forward. So like tick the box there. So I'm thinking for the next 20 odd games, like can we see those passing chops from Patrick Williams that you sort of reflected on just then? And can we get him more involved in the offense? And 
I, I guess there is scope for that, but I guess part of that is, is also on Patrick in the sense that one of the things that I have been picking up from Patrick Williams, and it's it's similar to Wendell Carter in, in, in a similar sense, and these guys, I don't know if they get in their own head as such, but they're, they're very... They're very um they're very comfortable letting other guys do the work. And that's because they're they're team first players. Maybe they're a little bit shy, maybe they don't necessarily want to go go in there and, and disturb the hierarchy sort of thing. But is part of it on Patrick Williams to have a little bit more confidence, a little bit more um yeah, just a little bit more confidence in his own ability to go out there and maybe you know, try to demand a position within within this offense where he is a somewhat of a focal point. Yeah, I think that it's pretty natural for rookies to try to fit in. To, to focus on doing their job first um, and then, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities that come from your job second. And that turn happens for different guys at different points. Um, I think a thing that struck me watching the Bulls was that Pat isn't super optimized on offense. Um, an action that they run occasionally, but I think should be spammed quite a bit, is a, a, a Zach-Pat pick-and-roll where um, they clear out one side and have Pat slip the screen to flare into big space, and then Zach has the choice to attack the, the defense as it's rotating or kick to Pat for basically a one-on-one in, in a half court that's that's wide open. Um, and that gave Pat, you know, a number of catch-and-shoot threes and also the opportunity to attack Phillips' defense. But those lineups are hard to get to where you want Pat to be the screener because there's Wendell who ideally, you know, he, he isn't suited to being in the dunker spot all the time. Thad, now that he's a, a passing wizard, um, you want the ball to run through him. So I think that the lineups where you would tell Pat, these are the ones where we need you to be more aggressive or harder to get to, because they may not be the ones that would win you basketball games. And when you're threatening for the four seed, that's where your, your brain is at when constructing lineups. So I think that if a trade is made to consolidate, you know, two players into to one playoff piece, um, or if the Bulls fall out of the playoff um, picture and, and then start to, to look towards a rebuilding year. We might see some tinkering with those lineups. But I think getting him into places where the lineups force him to be aggressive uh, rather than asking him to create when he's being played as like the two, mm-hmm. um, that might be asking for a little much considering how he's wired, but instead yeah. thinking of the circumstance first. Yeah, no, they're, they're all good points. And I, I certainly take your point on the um, you know how the Bulls' offense functions and the fact that you know it is difficult to get pat on the ball i guess and look a lot of the bulls offense from the four the power forward point of view like even larry mark and there's not a lot of times where he's screening on ball uh he and zach aren't necessarily involved a ton together but yeah that extends to patrick williams just due to the fact that wendell kyler and thad young are almost exclusively the guys that are screening for the bulls at this point and i mean part of that is the fact that they're the only two bigs that the bulls are running with at this point given that lowry is out and the rest of the other bulls backups are not good at all (laughs) so in that sense yeah patrick is constantly kind of off the ball in the corners a lot which brings me to my next point and i guess i wanted just to get your thoughts on patrick williams jumper because from my point of view when i'm watching this guy it kind of feels like he's got a different jumper when he's spotting up in the corner to what he has when he's sort of peeling off screens and getting into that into that um, that mid-range jumper that he has. And he just looks so much more confident, more fluid into that mid-range jumper, whereas that sort of three-point shot, whether it's in the corner or whether it's, you know wherever it may be, he's often in the corner on the wing. It, it kind of feels a little bit more robotic. I kind of don't know what's going to happen with it. Now, granted, he's shooting a really good percentage from his corner three, so it, the, the results are paying off. But in, just in terms of the look and feel and the aesthetics of that jump shot, like when he's going into that mid-range jumper, it just looks like cash. The moment it leaves his hand, 
Whereas when we're in the corner jumper, it's a little bit more uh, rockety, let's say, and I'm not 100% sure where it's going down. And maybe I should be because the return has been really good thus far. But uh, what are your thoughts about his his jump shooting thus far, you know, in the different areas of his jump shot and, and what the scope is potentially from Pat from a um, jump shooting point of view? So I think that, that he – the biggest improvement I've seen from, from high school and college to his time in the Bulls is that his hip bend is a lot better. His lower legs used to look really, really robotic. Uh, okay. To the point where it sometimes took off and landed in the same spot, which is a thing that you shouldn't do because mm-hmm. you generally want your momentum to be moving forward. Yeah. Um, the slight hitch that's uh, like three quarters of the way through its jumper yeah, is yeah. a thing that um, yeah. has been there when he needs to create a little more power. Um, okay. I think that it's a matter of time of smoothing it out. It used to be worse. It's better now. Okay. Um, but I think that the rep adjustment um, in time will get it there. The biggest issue that I have with his form is that, as it currently stands, it's very hard to shoot off the dribble. Um, yep. And I think that this presents itself for times where guys like Zach and Kobe, if they have a sliver of space, they know exactly how much space they need to shoot. And sometimes Pat, it feels like he's still adjusting to NBA defense where he has enough space to shoot, but he's still trying to figure out, can I shoot this off the dribble or not? Which, when you're a 40% three-point shooter, you think, like, if it's even close, man, shoot it. But that processing, I think, comes from, from that hitch at the top. Um, it'll it'll get smoothed out in time. Um, I don't think it's super dramatic. I think it's mostly a shot selection thing um, rather than than a mechanical issue. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's that's good to hear. And I, I guess you just touched on it there, like the one when I was talking about improvement areas that what I want to see from Patrick going forward in those you know twenty blocks of games. And whilst his numbers and percentages from three are, are quite good, they're they're beating the expectations that I had. I want to see the volume start ticking up, and there are occasions where he is open for, for a three-pointer, whether it's in the corner or elsewhere, where for whatever reason, he's very comfortable sort of shot faking and going into a, into a dribble, a couple of dribbles onto the, the left-hand side of his, of, of his body, I suppose, and tries to go left. He's sort of, it's almost to the point now where every game he sort of gets called for a travel um, on that move. Yeah, for whatever reason, he wants to get to the mid-range or he wants to get to the left-hand side to, to drive that way. Maybe he wants to come back inside eventually, but he goes left often. It's yeah, It has been somewhat problematic in that sense, but there are occasions where, you, where you're just thinking, why aren't you going up and shooting, Patrick? So, I mean, do you, I'm assuming you're going to say yes, but is, is there scope for this guy to be someone who's shooting five, six, seven threes a game, and, you know, in the same way that Lonzo Ball is, is throwing up seven threes a game, the same the, the same way Larry Markin is shooting seven or eight, maybe even more threes a game? Like, I bring up those two guys because they are guys that um, we as Bulls fans are locking in on right now as, you know, release valves within the offense. Larry's obviously on the team. Lonzo, maybe we hope, is on the team. But can Patrick be that sort of, you know, when Zach is driving, makes a read, whips it out to the corner, is someone like Patrick Williams in a lot of ways that, you know, Jay Crowder was for the Heat last last season and particularly, you know, through that playoff run, can he get up five, six, seven threes, maybe even more? Does, does he have that ability within from a jump shooting point of view? Oh, 100%. Um, I'm a believer that if you're a very good jump shooter, there's not really a limit on how many threes you should take if you're open. Yeah. The thing that's going to be the issue is that, you know, Pat was packing from Florida State where they encourage people to take a one dribble pull up if you're a little bit contested. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see the, you know, the, the Florida State guys have a little bit of a bugaboo, at least initially, about catching a chicken. Um, when it's slightly contested or even like partially contested because they've taught just to pump fake, dribble, dribble past the flyby and take a 17-footer. He's taken three attempts a game, which uh, is a little bit of a shame because there's a lot more attempts on the table. And yeah. it can be difficult as a rookie to get taught everything at once. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, by the time he's 20, 21, 22, someone's just going to sit him down um, and say, like, hey, this is how much money you're leaving on the table. Um, right now, that's probably a little bit much to handle, you know, learning a new scheme and, and dealing yeah. with road trips for the first time. But there's nothing in his release. There's nothing in, in his wiring. Like, there, it would shock me if he is not eventually shooting six, six and a half threes a game. Yeah, look, if, if he can, and if, if a lot of his offense can come from the three-point line in that sense, then I would be a very, very happy boy. But, I mean, from that point of view, I mean, we've talked about the things that we thought maybe he was prior to the draft, what we've seen through the first 30, 30 games of the season, how those perceptions may or may not have shifted. But in, in that sense, based on what we've seen now within, within the NBA, I mean, what do you ultimately project Patrick Williams to be in the NBA, I don't know if you want to throw out player comparisons. Um, like I mentioned uh, before, there's there's a lot of comparisons that a lot of Bulls fans like to go to, some more favorable than others, let's say. But in terms of what you've seen from Pat, um, both in the NBA, prior to the NBA, what ultimately is a fair outcome for him or a realistic outcome? If you want to throw a comparison onto that, you can. But uh, where do you ultimately see Patrick sort of shaping up within this league? Um, I would say that a... 75 to 80 percentile outcome for Patrick uh, is a an offensive and defensive player who organize and establish their scheme. So the scheme works because of them in the same way that like, the scheme works because Ben Simmons plays defense a certain way or the scheme works because Draymond plays a certain way. Um, yep. It is extremely unique to have a, a young player who um, has the true shooting free throw attempt rate and three, like basically three-point attempt rate of league average as a rookie, especially when they're a wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, often you find uh, most young guys uh, struggle to get to the free throw line, or uh, you know they all the shots they take are wildly uh, inefficient. I mean, we just spent three, four minutes talking about how he doesn't shoot enough threes, but he's almost at league true at league true shooting, yeah. despite not taking an ideal shot diet. I would say a, a fair um, outcome for him is uh, the best player on a playoff team, um, and wow. best player on a playoff team that plays a modern sense of basketball. Wow. Like that's 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 a solid outcome for me. I don't ever think he's going to be um a guy who like shocks you with how he plays, but I think that the like it it's possible that he will, you know, skill develop into getting into that like Kawhi level where it's ugly but it's still like he's super good. He's just like uh, he makes all the things you just shouldn't do. Like Kawhi <laughs> has mastered the shoulder pull up where you just like dribble into someone, give them a hard shoulder and pull up. Yeah. It's very nineteen eighty nine. But yeah. it, it works. Um, yeah. Not to say that Pat is Kawhi because no one has been Kawhi before. Nobody will, will be Kawhi since. But Kawhi is the best player on a you know a finals level team because of the way that his team plays and it plays through him. I would say a step down for Pat is a fair outcome. Um, he is on a very accelerated path, and uh, it's pretty wild to see somebody as young as him get as many of the nuances about the game, which leads yeah. me to believe that like there's a lot of winning in his future. Um, so uh, it's it's usually when I talk about rookies, I have to do the opposite thing where it's like, look, I know he's good, but like you guys got to relax. Like I think both need a little more excitement. Like this is this is a really 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 interesting young guy. Yeah, it's it, it's funny that you say that because I mean a lot of our season from a Bulls point of view has been backed by the momentum that you know the things that Zach Levine has showed us. I guess like he's the. the the steps that he's made in his game are very tangible. They're very obvious when you watch it, whereas Pat, you know, obviously this is his first season, but 
he's almost stealth-like on the court. Like like we've already talked about, like a lot of the value he does bring is is so off so off the ball that maybe you don't even recognize it. But even when he is doing his things, um, he, he the way he just goes about it, just his demeanor as well. I guess he's he's not he doesn't lend lend himself to the uh, the highlight reel, let's say. So in a lot of ways, yeah, a lot of our attention has been on on uh, Zach Levine, rightly so, maybe a few other players here and there. But, yeah, I think you, you do raise a good point that maybe we need to get a little bit more excited about Patrick Williams. And I think maybe after some people listen to this podcast, perhaps they will, because you did say the magic word there, Peter, and I was sort of trying to hint at it when I was asking that previous question but didn't necessarily want to make the comp. <laughs> a lot of it's, been, fans... it's been lingering for a long time, but, yeah, yeah going I, back to I pre-draft. Know. I mean, they have... The physical dimensions are similar. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. never like a confirmed Patrick Williams wingspan, but like Kawhi has much bigger hands. That being said, like I, I don't lean into comparisons, but like t- how Kawhi is used, like current Kawhi, the one that can pass really well, is the mm-hmm. template that the Bulls should be using for the usage of Patrick Williams. Not necessarily to say that they're the same player, but that the way that you can slide him up and down assignments and slide him around to leverage his passing and. Uh, his passing and interesting ways of using his opera or of uh, finding the right isolation against the switch. Like those are, that's the playbook that I would like to see the Bulls steal most. Yeah, cool. Look, I, I've, I've tried to men- mentally like prepare myself that he's, he's not going to get anywhere near Kawhi that way. I don't, that, that way I don't hurt myself, let's say. <laughs> but um, I, know, I know there's a lot of people listening to this who are most certainly uh, like to compare Patrick to, to, to Kawhi Leonard, and um, I, I generally recoil against that. Just, just a lot of it, just due to the fact that um, I don't want my mind to go there. But um, if he can even get to seventy-five percent of eight, or seventy-five to eighty percent of current Kawhi, I mean, that, that would be a, an amazing outcome for a guy picked number four overall. But I guess the last question that I want to ask you before I let you get away is. Maybe projecting forward a little bit. I don't know if this is realistically going to happen or even if it should happen, but I don't know if the Bulls are going to be in position to have a top four, top five pick somewhere in that vicinity. I kind of don't want them to be. I, I want them to keep progressing the way they are, but if for whatever reason, I don't know, they're just missing, the, just miss out on the playoffs, don't make necessarily make the playing tournament, have some lottery luck and sort of push up towards the top of this lottery. Maybe they don't get into the top two or three. Maybe they can't get their hands on Evan Mobley or, or Kate Cunningham, but you mentioned him before. How would Patrick Williams and someone like Kaminga fit together? Um, that would be interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, Kuminga's, uh, again, somebody who also gets the quiet comparison because they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're the same shape of dude. They're the same, you know, 6'8", strong. Kuminga's a, a pretty other, otherworldly athlete. Somebody that, like, I would be interested in for Chicago would be somebody like Jaden Springer or, or Keon Johnson. Um, these, like, strength-based guards who, are good passers, maybe not great passers, but can exist in an on-ball, off-ball sense. So if you need somebody to pair with Zach, somebody who doesn't necessarily need the ball in their hands, but can find ways to score without it. Keon's not necessarily a shooter, and Springer is a little bit undersized for, for like, he's a point guard, shooting guard, sort of. It's, it's a Positionality is going to be fungible, mm-hmm. but that's the beauty of having a player like Patrick Williams, is that he can make sense of players who don't necessarily have true positions because of the, the self-organizing principle of defense. Yeah, and look, uh, 
to, to be fair, I haven't watched a ton of these college prospects just yet. I will most certainly be leaning on your expertise in this area throughout the year as we go as we go forward throughout this college season. And obviously, based on where the Bulls' season sort of plays itself out, maybe they're not, they're not even high enough uh, to, to be picking these guys. I kind of hope they're not. I don't necessarily want to be there, be talking about the Bulls playing the tanking game or the lottery game, let's say. But I don't know for whatever reason, one of the one of the guys that I have sort of locked in on. And, and have, have watched a little bit is Kaminga and, and you sort of raised it there like how can we put these guys around Zach Levine to the point where we can get these huge massive wings around Levine I don't know if you necessarily want Levine to be your uh, your primary creator or your lead guy but in the event that he is in a certain rotation you put someone like Patrick out there you put someone like Kaminga out there maybe you have Kobe out there I don't know but like the, this is the things where my mind is going I'm thinking can I get Kaminga can I put Patrick at power forward can I put Patrick at center even like these are the things that I'm I'm, um, I'm spitballing at this point which may not be relevant um, given that uh, I'm hoping the Bulls kind of aren't in the position to to go and grab Kaminga but you know, worst case scenario, it wouldn't be a uh, well. It wouldn't be a worst case scenario, I guess. No, if there was a, a year to uh, be, be wing curious, this is the year. Um, yeah, this draft yeah. is really, really good at one thing, and that's threes and fours. Um, yeah. and it's not a uh, you know the first five picks are all wings. I would say that like the last interesting wing is going to go like at pick forty. Um, and I think one of the the most valuable places in this draft is is twenty to to forty because there's a whole bunch of wings that um either have a flaw or need a specific context to be successful, um, that a team with a plan can really uh, make out well in the same way that, like, there was a lot of point guards in last year's draft that, you know, needed a, a little bit of a circumstance to be successful. And, you know, Peyton Pritchard and, and Malachi Flint have burst on the scene. Um, Malachi in the G League right now, but uh, Peyton Pritchard for the, for, the, for the Celtics. There's so many interesting wings that are going to have a similar effect where you look back six months later, like, why didn't I see that? It's like, well, this guy had flaws, and, and uh, because players are interrelated um, in terms of their skills, finding guys to make other guys make sense, which is why, again, having a guy like Patrick Williams who could pass, who can shoot, who can create spacing, um, who is, you know, sort of this uh, this piece that can be moved around, allows for a draft and team-building philosophy that is uh, much more flexible, where if you, you know, draft a guy like James Wiseman, you have to build a certain way because he requires a, a very strict sense of team building around him. That, that, that's great to know. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll be leaning on your coverage throughout the uh, the coming months uh, as we sort of head towards the, the close of the college basketball season and obviously the NBA season. We're, we're roughly halfway through the NBA season. And depending on where the Bulls sort of land, um, obviously that'll sort of shape who I'm necessarily focusing in on. I'm, I kind of hope it's not guys like Cade Cunningham. I, like, I don't want to be thinking about draft picks that, that's uh, low, but at the same time, just because I like, I'm, I'm getting used to this winning feeling again. It's been nice, but uh, at the same time, to to your point, if this is kind of the draft where, uh, if you're going to be bad, this this would be the year. So, but in in, in knowing all that, uh, it's good to hear that it is somewhat of a deep draft, and you know, even if the Bulls are good, that there's some intriguing intriguing prospects, particularly on the wing, because I think that's where the Bulls really need to uh need to get their hands on, particularly given the the fact that Otto Porter can't seemingly stay healthy. Chandler Hutchinson is currently away from the team or at least not playing. Um, so th- I'm really thankful we have Patrick Williams right now. That's probably a good a good play, place to wrap it up because I just don't know where this Bulls team would be given that Otto is out, Chandler Hutchinson is out. They don't really have any wings. They're still running a ton of three-guard lineups, even four-guard lineups at times. So it, I don't know where this team would be without Patrick Williams, which is you know, a pretty heavy thing to say given he is a 19-year-old rookie, but he has been that important. So... 
yeah, I've been really encouraged with the first 30-odd games that we've seen. Patrick, he's hoping the next 30 to 40 games of his rookie season are just as good, if not better. So um, we'll end it there, PD. I'll let you go, mate, but um, I appreciate you jumping on. Before I let you get away, though, please tell the listeners where they can follow your work online. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm on Twitter at above the break 3 um, My work can be found on Patreon, where uh, the work is free. Um, if you can swing a couple bucks, it be much appreciated. It helps me pay for, for stats and video packages. I am currently working through the last draft class in a series that I call Youth Summit, where you know I watch a handful of games and uh, try to get a feel for where I was right, where I was wrong, and uh, who's developed in what ways. Um, and the Patrick Williams uh, one was handled uh, last week. Um, so I look through that bold stance. We're looking for a little more in-depth analysis. Other than that, thank you so much for having me. No, perfect, mate. Uh, I certainly encourage people to go do that, and I am. I'm very uh, thankful that you were able to give me some of your time here. Very much appreciate and, and assuming you're not uh, swooped up by an NBA team in, in the short term, if you'd be uh, comfortable coming back on later on to maybe talk some prospects when we know more about where the Bulls are sort of headed from a draft point of view. Again, um, we'll see where that is. That could go a number of uh, different ways based on this season. Um, maybe we can have you back later on to talk about the, uh, the 2021 draft later on. But uh, in the interim, uh, I really do appreciate you coming on and um, getting me a little, little bit more hyped about Patrick Williams. That was the uh, the intent. Uh, that was what I was hoping for, at least. And um, you've certainly done that, PD. Uh, I'm Bulls fans tuning in. I hope you really enjoyed this, this episode of Bulls. HQ PD, uh, to my point of view at least, has provided me with uh, a lot of insight about what Patrick is doing, and I'm, I'm sure you uh, certainly feel the same. And probably those those Bulls fans that that do like the uh, the Kawhi comparisons, uh, they're, they're probably smiling big right now. But um, thank you again to PD coming on. Whilst you're out there following PD online, you can do so with me too at MK Hoops. Follow the show on Twitter too, at BullsHQPod. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord server, send me a DM on Twitter at MKHoops. We'll give you the link into that Bulls HQ Discord server. Come come talk Bulls with over 200 Bulls fans up in that Bulls HQ Discord server. If you want to be part of it, come drop me a DM. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. We'll be back again next week to talk about the, the latest slate of games, all the other things that are going on in Bulls Nation. Maybe we'll have a trade. Who the hell knows? But uh, until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Again, thank you to PD and thank you to you listeners for tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.